Well, good morning again. We're at uh, nine minutes after five o'clock here on this Saturday morning. So far, no rain, no snow in the Chicagoland area. I don't know about you, but I got snowflakes one afternoon this week. Not enough to accumulate, but I got about 10 minutes worth of hail, and uh, then we got some rain and then some snow. A reminder, I guess, that spring uh, always takes a delay or two before it finally arrives. But there are things to do, and Jim Fazell is going to talk about that a little bit later. Also, uh, another subject to talk to you about this morning uh, with the uh, CEO of Flora.com. That's the company that's providing seed, hemp seed, and in addition to the seed to grow the plant, also able to hook you up with uh, buyers of hemp but uh, again that uh, crop which was going to be uh, a really big one this year it may still be but uh, certainly as I look at my Reuters screen this morning that's my news screen uh, all I see is coronavirus and uh, I learned a year ago to be careful what you wish for because I was wishing I could do an agricultural report without having to talk about the U.S.-China trade situation because a year ago that's all we talked about every time we did an agricultural report or a market report but uh, I didn't want to get what we got, the coronavirus, the COVID-19. So I guess I have to be careful what I wish for, because I have a whole new subject to talk about. That's all I see on my Reuters screen this morning. But uh, uh, one solid uh, reporter, Jim Fazell, who is our specialist in ornamental horticulture, does have a lot of ideas to help make the time go by since you can't have uh, social activities uh, to speak about anymore. And uh, those are the things we plant and look forward to enjoying throughout the growing season, whether it be flowers or whether it be vegetables and the garden and the lawn. And so uh, another sign of spring is uh, one of my listeners always says every year, when's Jim Fazell going to be on? Because I know when Jim is on, uh, spring is here or just right around the corner. Well, Jim is standing by. He has a lot of ideas for you to while away your time and keep a social distance. And uh, he'll be joining us to uh, talk about some of those items when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It will be a little different Easter weekend for a lot of people because of the situation we have in this country, but we talk about that all the time. So Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, joins us to talk about growing things and enjoying the colors of spring. Good morning, Jim. Well, good morning, Orion. Yes, it is going to be different. Eastern Passover this at this time of year, we expect to be out and seeing lots of people and going to the services and so forth. And actually, what happens with a year like this, it makes us appreciate the things we take for granted. And when things return to normal, which they will, we need to remember what we do, regard as normal, can change in an instant. We need to be thankful for what we have. But it is a joyous time of year, and don't let the troubles of our time spoil it. Um, 
Grass is turning green. The flowers are out blooming. We have spring bulbs in bloom, the tulips and daffodils and the spring beauties. And windflowers, I like the little windflowers, little tiny daisy-like things right across the ground, all, all kinds of nice pastel colors. And some of the trees are already in bloom, and bushes, the forsythias and redbuds are in bloom. Uh, Jay and I go out each morning to do our walk, and then we go into the garden to look at what's, what's blooming, and, and we really thoroughly enjoy it. That is a true blessing at this time of year. Uh, throughout our walk, uh, you can see places where it's shady. There are certain things in flower, and where it's nice and sunny, the trees are out even better. So it's an enjoyable time. And at this time of year, too, we need to think about holiday flowers. You know, it's a strange situation right now. Our garden centers and florists and greenhouses, they grow especially for this time of year. They put crops in last fall, actually last winter, and they grow them on so that they have flowers available for at this time, at this time of year. So they have big inventories, wonderful plants like lilies and hydrangeas, all the normal holiday things. Unfortunately, many of the churches and other institutions, other venues, cancel their, their flower orders. So the florists have been hurting because of these cancellations. <clears throat> I got a note from the Farm Bureau, who represents our, a lot of uh, greenhouses throughout this area, and uh, they're asking uh, for us to at least mention that the florists do have these plants at the greenhouses for sale, in the garden centers for sale. And even if you can't get them from the florist or from the church, you can get them from the florist and really enjoy them in your homes. And they do beautify our homes. Uh, if you have uh, some shut-ins that just simply can't get out, you can take some plants to them. Uh, actually, we take a few plants to a few people almost every year. And then even after the holidays, the plants are still beautiful in our homes. Um, there are several kinds that, that, that I like to talk about. The first one is the Easter lilies. You know, they're not just beautiful for Easter, but they're, they're plants that you can actually put out in the garden and enjoy year after year. And we've done this for many years. And until last year when we had some re landscaping done, uh, we had Easter lilies that bloomed every year faithfully in June from several years past. In fact, I remember when one of our, one of our uh, grandsons was here to visit on his birthday at the end of June, he was surprised that we had an Easter lily blooming out in the backyard for his birthday. But that can be done. Uh, other things that can be, can be taken out would be uh, azaleas and some of the potted bulbs, although that's difficult to do. Uh, you need to really uh, take care of the plants while you have them indoors so that they're in good shape to put them out if you're going to do that. But you need to take care of them anyway. The better you take care of them, the longer they're going to last in your homes. The first thing you need to do, if you have a foil wrapper around the pots on these plants, you need punch, to punch holes in the foil for drainage so that the water will run out under control because it's going to get out anyway. And if you have a hole punched in it and put these plants on a saucer, the drainage is going to go where you can control it. Uh, actually, we like to take the plants over to the sink, soak them well, let them drain, and then put them back where we can enjoy them. You really need to keep them in a fairly cool place indoors, a uh, bright place, not direct sunlight. And you need to water them as needed to keep them from wilting. Now, lilies are particularly interesting because they are beautiful white, but they have these yellow stamens in the middle. Now, when the stamens mature and begin to drop pollen, they'll turn the flowers yellow on the inside. So you want to pick those off as soon as the flowers open. Then uh, if you're going to decide to reflower these or reuse them, keep the plant growing indoors in a nice bright place, Take the flowers off, as, they, as I mentioned, uh, and then keep it growing until the danger of frost is over. Now, once it's 
safe to put them outdoors, you can pop these plants out of the pot and plant them in the garden. Now, the leaves are going to continue to replenish the bulbs until they dry up naturally, which would be in the three or four months. Then next year, the plant's going to come up, up as all lilies do, and eventually will flower, as I mentioned, in the middle to the end of June. That's their normal flowering time outdoors. Now, azaleas can be reflowered as well. It takes a little more work. After flowering, you want to cut these back to shape so that they are neat, round plants. Otherwise, they're going to get out of shape, and they'll have some long sprigs and some short sprigs. Um, set the plat, pot and all out in a cool, lightly shaded place as soon as it's safe to put them out. Uh, it doesn't want to be in full sun. It needs to be in a fairly bright but shady place. We like to put it out on the north side of the house where it gets a little sun in the morning, and then it's protected for the rest of the day. Uh, grow it all summer and into fall, and after we have a light frost, you need to bring these plants indoors into a cool place where the temperature will get down low. This might be something like an unheated porch, uh, enclosed unheated porch, where temperatures will get down into the 30s at night if it's cold outside. And after a couple of months, you're going to notice that the buds have developed and they're going to begin to to swell. And as soon as that happens, you can move these plants into a warm place and they will flower very nicely for you. Um, if you have a plant that's been grown for several years, you get to understand the exact cycle of this plant and you know exactly when to do what with it. Now, the hydrangeas are very difficult to redo, and there are a lot of hydrangeas out there. They're gorgeous at this time of the year, the potted ones, but they're not the same varieties as the ones that we grow in our garden. So the best thing to do with them is to keep them indoors as long as possible, then uh, recycle them out into the, into the yard waste recycler. Another thing we like to grow and have done for many years are potted orchids, cymbidiums, cattleyas, some of the other orchids. They grow in pots, but they can be grown uh, year after year, reflowered year after year, very easily. And the way you do it is very similar to what you do with azaleas. As soon as the weather is nice outdoors, you put them out in a semi-protected place where they're not going to be in full sun. And you let them go through the cycle out there of the summer, then in the fall, bring them into a cool but bright place indoors, and they will reflower for you depending on the length of the day and the temperatures. There are a lot of other things that you can force and use out, uh, use as uh, uh, regrow for you for your personal use. Uh, we may have some time to talk about some of them in the future. Anyway, it's a little bit too cool and wet to be out in the garden. We're going to have some snow showers this week, and we're going to have a gob of rain. It's an unusual time, as we admit, but try to keep things as normal as you can because this, too, will pass. And yes, in, all, indeed it will. And this week and uh, an hour, I got rain and I got snow but uh, snow didn't last. I did get some hail, too, so uh, the forecast says we may get a lot more rain, so I guess we better be ready for that, Jim. Yeah, we didn't get a drop of rain in that big storm that hit the northern suburbs, not even a drop in our rain gauges. Anyway, have a happy Easter and a happy Passover, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much. Our visit with Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture here on the Saturday Morning Show. It's 21 and a half minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. And, of course, we hope you keep your radio dial set to 720. There will be helpful information throughout the day. We have been talking about the production of hemp on farms across the country, and it's becoming a crop that a lot of people have questions about, are interested in. 
We'll answer some of those questions when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. This summer, cable news returns in prime time. 5,500 journalists, over 110 newsrooms, news for the nation originating from Chicago. News Nation, every night starting this summer on WGN America. These are certainly challenging times for everybody, but in agriculture, yes, because we have to depend so much on markets and weather. And it may not be the best year to introduce a relatively new crop called hemp. We've been talking about it here on the Saturday morning show, and we're going to talk about it again today and maybe in a week or two because Jeffrey is with us on the phone, and we've got a few questions for you, Jeffrey, so I hope you have the answer. I hope so too, Orion. <laughs> the uh, farmers that I'm talking to, and most of it is by phone because there's not much going on otherwise, but uh, I would say the number one question I get about Flora.com and hemp production is how do I sell what I grow and who will buy it? And that's a very fair question. As you know, the industry is new and uh, last year was really the first year it was grown on any large scale, and many states uh, still did not participate last year. And this year uh, will be new for uh, it will be a new crop for many additional states. So infrastructure is still uh, being built. Um, I can tell you that we personally, as a part of our service to uh, farmers that we sell seeds to, we uh, do attempt to hook you up with a, uh, a manufacturer uh, uh, of CBD oil. Uh, and I think that that is, uh, you know, I, I do understand people's concern of being able to uh, find a place to take their crops. That's what they're used to on, you know, many other things like corn, soybeans, whatever it is. Right. And uh, that's something that in time will happen. Uh, with that said, um, this is going to be a crop that's going to, I believe, be in the rotation in the long run. And maybe this isn't the year to go out and risk the farm, do 100,000 acres or something. But I do think, because it is here and it's going to be here to stay uh, for the nutraceutical market, the grain market, and the fiber market, that people should get experience with this. And there's nothing wrong without trying out a couple acres that's not going to uh, break the farm over that. Um, with that said, for people that do um, purchase seeds from us, uh, we will uh, attempt to hook you up with a processor for your material. I have heard about processors uh, being uh, developed, and uh, as a matter of fact, a town not too far from the farm in Wisconsin where I grew up, the town of Kendall, Wisconsin, has a newly formed business that will take the hemp and turn it into the products that consumers need. But as you say, that doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while, I would guess, to build the infrastructure for the buyers of the crop. Uh, yeah, it's and it's a continual process. You have uh, you have uh, you do have facilities being repurposed. I I know of uh, I, I know of uh, some facilities uh, not too far outside of Chicago um, that 
um, were uh, originally, I believe it was a wheat germ, I, I believe wheat germ uh, factory that's being repurposed for CBD oil production. Um, there's a lot of things going on as we speak, even uh, even as this, uh, obviously we're in the middle of this uh, uh, pandemic, uh, but farmers are still going to farm. Uh, you know, I'm out in a, I'm in a, I'm on our Michigan farm right now, and farmers are still uh, doing their doing their thing. They're fortunate they you know they they're still able to uh, get on their tractor because it's just them and uh, and move things forward. And uh, I think that I think that farmers, as I said earlier, should really consider at the very least trying it out, um, not going big, but perhaps starting small this year because it is going to be a crop that they're going to want to know about. And uh, the more years you have under your belt in the future, when it becomes much larger, uh, the more experience you're going to have and you're going to feel more comfortable because it is new and it's not like anything that they're growing right now. Second question I hear often is, what equipment will I have to purchase and uh, will I make enough money on the crop to uh, pay for the investment? Sure. So many farmers... We uh, we do work um, we do work with a company uh, in Iowa who has created a, a hemp harvester that obviously uh, would be done um, that would be for a farmer that's actually you know going to thinking about doing uh, a larger 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 acreage um, for someone doing for someone doing just a couple acres though there's no real need to purchase new equipment many farmers are going to have that equipment uh, on the farm many uh, many of them last year they just did a couple acres were able to take a silage chopper and chop it up or uh, use other you know use other equipment I mean if you're doing a small enough acreage you could even you could if you wanted to even do it by hand um, there's really not at this point. Um, a need to go out and buy brand new equipment unless you're going to really get into the space and you know you're doing hundreds of hundreds of thousands of acres. Um, many farmers are uh, able to repurpose or just use what they have available. And we're happy to I'm happy to expand on that and let them actually let uh, uh, let our customers or just someone uh, cur- curious people that are thinking about doing this, if they'd like to talk to farmers that have done that, um, we can make that available. Okay, before we say farewell on this interview, because we'll do another one with you, but how do they get information from you? Can they talk to you? Can they email you? How do we get in touch with Jeffrey? Yeah, I, I think that I think the best way is go to our website, flura.com. Uh, there's, a, there's a number there to call. Uh, that's going to get you in touch with our, our team. Uh, and uh, depending on what you're doing, whether you're a, a buyer or someone uh, calling for advice or calling just for more information, we'll get you directed to the right spot. But, yeah, that's flura, F-L-U-R-A, dot com. Okay, so we'll be back uh, in a week or two to talk more with you. So stand by for some more questions, and uh, we'll be in touch. A visit with Jeffrey Yarrows, who is the CEO of flura.com. 
We're at the halfway mark on the Saturday morning show. As always, we appreciate your company on Saturday morning as we talk agriculture, the planet's most important and basic industry, producing food, and a whole lot more for you and me. And right now, welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and today talking about some of the unusual headlines in this time of crisis. This is Lou Manfredini. Now, I've talked about Gilkey Windows for years because this family-owned business has been around for years and will continue to be. We all agree this is an unprecedented time for everyone as we hunker down in our homes, but we'll get through it. And when we do, if new windows is one of your projects, give Gilkey a call now. They're still doing business and can get you on their schedule for later this spring or summer. Call them at 888-3-G-I-L-K-E-Y. Choose vinyl or choose fiberglass. Just be sure to choose Gilkey. I have written and talked for decades about the most important industry on the planet, agriculture, the production of food for the United States and the entire world. But the current challenge for the world, COVID-19, touches agriculture in ways I hadn't thought about. And it does it just about every day. Let me share some of the headlines that I've shared with my radio TV audience the past few weeks. Number one, economics. The Purdue University CME Group Agriculture Economy Barometer, that's a monthly survey of 400 agricultural producers, stated in its March report that farmer sentiment fell to its lowest level in the history of the report, down 47 points, and the future outlook expectation dropped 49 points. Farm equipment manufacturer not making farm equipment. Deer and Company this week stopped making planting equipment at its plant in Moline, Illinois, and started making instead protective face shields for health care workers. Then there's the story about the decline in demand for the ethanol fuel industry. That has impacted our meat production industry. I didn't realize that a byproduct of the ethanol industry is CO2, carbon dioxide, and the meatpacking industry uses 40% of the country's carbon dioxide as a refrigerant and preservative for meat. So a shortage of that ethanol byproduct would certainly affect our food supply. The other story, Smithfield Foods, the world's biggest pork producer, temporarily shut down a massive plant in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because 80% of its 3,700 workers were found infected with COVID-19. So with the shortage of CO2 and the challenge of COVID-19, our food supply could be at risk. But I still say we are blessed to have the strongest food supply system of any country, and we will overcome. And then I am still waiting for the day when I no longer have to talk about COVID-19 in my agricultural reports. I would rather talk about spring planting weather, proper rainfall without flooding, county and state fairs, and all of the rural summertime festivals. Again, thank you. To our food producers, my thoughts on Samuelson Says. 
a presentation of uh, Nextar Media Group, and we're going to talk markets because the coronavirus is having an impact on market prices for farmers, regardless of the crops that they're growing and selling. So we'll talk about that with Mike Pearson and his guest when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Joining us today is Brian Rice, a principal at Vault Ag. Brian, we've seen the milk markets really take a hit from this coronavirus, or at least from potential demand shocks or overproduction. Let's start with where prices sit today. What are we seeing in Class 3 milk pricing here uh, mid-April? Good morning, Mike. Uh, class three milk pricing, you know, class three being the main milk price, is it on a cash basis? It's in the ten dollar handle, uh, which is not good. Class four is the other main traded commodity for milk. Uh, it's in the eleven dollar handle. These are, you know, really unprofitable levels for producers. Now, help us kind of put that in perspective for a lot of our listeners or, or viewers who don't. Uh, have a connection to the dairy industry, $10, $11. When was the last time we saw prices down there for producers? Financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Okay. Uh, was the last time we got into the $10 and $9 price handle. Um, so it's been quite a long time uh, since we've seen those prices. You know, a kind of standard rule of thumb to break even varies a ton based on the operation, based on geography, but a real crude rule of thumb is like, you know, fifteen to sixteen dollars, even seventeen dollars in some areas, it can be a break-even price for a dairy producer. Well, that is a struggle—five to six dollars under break-even per hundredweight. Brian, when a lot of our viewers are going to the grocery store over the past two weeks or month, you know they've seen the milk cases empty. Why is there such a discount to the producer side when consumers are racing out to the store and buying all the milk they can get their hands on? It seems it's. It's a it's it's the crux of the problem there, Mike. Uh, well, first of all, you've got, got a demand shock in general that's happening, um, and I think people resonate with oil. You know, the International Energy Agency says oil consumption is down over twenty percent. Some people are saying thirty percent. In dairy, the industry just got together, put their heads together, and they came up with a figure of ten percent. Meaning, all of a sudden, overnight, there's a ten percent hole in demand. So from a market that was fairly well balanced um, in January and early February, uh, 10% of the demand vaporized instantly. Uh, so you got a market that is stuck long and the prices are collapsing trying to, trying to adjust here. And that hole in demand, it's not coming from the grocery store where we're seeing the shortages. It's predominantly coming from restaurants and schools and, and uh, institutional milk buyers. Is that the trouble? It is. It is. So we lost a vast majority of the food service sector right out of the gate. And the gains in retail are nowhere near enough to compensate for that. So whereas, you know, people were consuming half their food from food service before, now all of it's in retail. It's putting a real strain on the retail supply chain. Um, So the farmers are still producing the milk. Uh, But what's happening is the supply chain along the way Retail was not designed to handle the kind of volume it's handling right now, although that supply chain has responded fantastically. Everybody's trying to switch over to uh, retail as fast as they can and at the same time deal with hemorrhaging demand. So it's a complicated problem. So this is one of those things that we are probably going to see at least for a little while here in the industry until we get this coronavirus thing sorted out. We are, and that's the interesting part. This is a demand problem. 
And the demand problem, in, in my opinion, comes from, call it social distance for shorthand, right? We didn't social distance in January and beyond. All of a sudden, social distance stormed onto the scene uh, in the form of shelter in place, in the form of people not going out. Um, that is what destroyed the demand. So the question is, what does social distance look like next month, the month after? Um, and in, in my opinion, if we were at zero before Corona, and now we've gone to 100 on the social distance scale, we're going to start coming back down. Things will start unlocking. Shelter in places will reduce, but we're not going back to zero anytime real soon. And I think that's none of us have a historical playbook to go off of on that one. It's often been said that low prices cure low prices. They tend to spur demand. Do you think these low prices we're experiencing now are going to help improve the export picture for the American dairy industry? They could. The export picture is really hampered in general. Logistics issues, uh, supply chains are all kind of messed up. Uh, demand is down in the U.S. So is it in other areas of the, in the world that are experiencing the same problem. Uh, a silver lining there, though, uh, skim milk powder or nonfat dry milk is one of the main exported products in the dairy complex. And in the United States, we've started to see a pretty good discount to prices in New Zealand. Our forward curve for skim milk powder is about 95 cents. New Zealand, they're about a buck ten. Usually, we're at somewhat of a parity. That may create some opportunities for us to export into Asia, although we're competing against the Europeans and their price is similar to ours. So, uh, it, there's there's no there's no easy or wonderful export story at the moment. Is there anything we can do as domestic consumers to help the dairy industry? You know, we talk a lot about fluid milk, and that seems to be the crux of the issue right now. But America has been consuming lots of cheese. Is that something we should keep doing? Well, the, the good news is, is people are just naturally doing it. And that's one of the things that's happened is you're seeing people uh, run for food that they love. And dairy, that's a great story for dairy, uh, for milk, for cheese, for uh, butter, Um at the retail, you're seeing consumers, you know, remember what they love. And it's been a really positive story for dairy. So I don't think people need to, like, go out of their way to be patriotic. I think they just need to follow their instincts and go with what they love. Looking down the road, Brian, when do you expect this to turn around? Do we need a coronavirus cure before the dairy market flips? We do. Um, you know, the industry got together and they have tried to come up with a plan to help curtail supply. Uh, but ultimately, you need the demand to come back, and that means we need to we, we need to get life back to normal here. We need to get life back to normal, a sentiment I'm sure shared by a lot of our viewers. Brian Rice from Vault Ag, thanks for taking the time this week. The COVID-19 situation is certainly rearranging a lot of items that are on our normal schedule. Uh, farmers markets, yeah, they'll be open as soon as we get the crops growing here with the uh, daily production that can be brought into farmers markets. But a lot of people, and I'm one of them, starting to get a little concerned with the uh, social distancing about the county and state fair season. That'll be here before you know it. And so right now, the uh, county and state fairs are taking a look at what they can do this year. I received an email from Stan Eden, who has served in the University of Illinois Extension Program forever, for decades. And uh, he said that uh, the Rockford Register Star this week 
uh, editorial by Timothy Colleen, who is the president of the University of Illinois System, makes a positive mention of University of Illinois Extension. And in his editorial, he said, The University of Illinois Extension, the system's grassroots connection to all 102 counties, is helping people adjust to the realities of everyday life. Physical offices may be closed, but the Extension staff is fielding calls and providing a stream of credible, easy-to-understand information online, particularly for our state's food production and growers. And I thank Stan for sharing that with me. And as of today, no decisions have been made about 4-H shows. Illinois Extension does not intend to cancel county 4-H shows or exhibitions unless we are directed to do so. And to clarify a point of confusion, Illinois Extension does not have authority over county fairs. Decisions about county fairs will be made by the Bureau of County Fairs with the Illinois Department of Agriculture. And the third point uh, in that uh, note from Ogle County, Illinois, Extension leadership is evaluating alternative models just in case directives from the Public Health Department or the Governor's Office require it. More information on an alternative model is expected mid-April this month. In the meantime, if you have innovative ideas, please let the folks at the University of Illinois Extension know about it. Jody Baumgartner is the 4-H program coordinator. So if you have any ideas on what may be happening with the schedule on county fairs and how we should proceed with them, uh, give them a call. They would like to know. Uh, One of the events that's already been canceled by the coronavirus is the World Pork Expo 2020. That would get underway in early June, but uh, it will, well, not take place this year. Uh, Second year in a row, they've had to cancel the World Pork Expo at Des Moines, Iowa, One other event, uh, I was talking to Matt Banwolf with the Harvard Milk Day celebration, Harvard, Illinois. That's always the first weekend of June. It will not be this year. It'll be this fall, and we'll keep you posted on that for the annual celebration to salute the dairy industry in Illinois, particularly in McHenry County, with the Harvard Milk Day that has been postponed until fall. We'll give you the dates on that one. And uh, we'll talk uh, more about World Pork Expo because uh, Steve Alexander has uh, visited this week on the phone with the, the president of the National Pork Producers Council. So he'll be joining us when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. The Saturday Morning Show continues on WGN. Steve Alexander sliding in front of the microphone for a few minutes to talk about the World Pork Expo. Canceled for a second year in a row. When I heard Orion deliver that news the past week or so, well, I was disappointed for sure, but not surprised. 
with the danger of COVID-19 being passed around, there was no way 20,000 people could have gathered at the Iowa State Fairgrounds June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And as I mentioned, it's the second year in a row that the Expo's been canceled. Last year, it was over concerns of African swine fever possibly entering the country. I spoke with Howard A.V. Roth, a hog farmer from southwest Wisconsin, Crawford County, president of the National Pork Producers Council. Howard says the concern for the health of the attendees was indeed a top priority, but there is a deeper concern, and that was making sure hog farmers can continue to put pork on your table. And it highlights the ongoing difficulty that hog farmers and hog processing plants have had in getting and keeping labor. Oh, absolutely. U.S. pork producers are facing a labor shortage on farms and in plants. And COVID-19 threatens to exacerbate the existing labor shortage. The pork industry, a farm sector that operates year-round, uses the H-2A visa program for specialized work, but cannot use the program for most labor needs because of the seasonal limitations. Hog farmers are major users of the TN visa program, which taps labor for Mexico. Unfortunately, the U.S. Department of State recently decided to suspend visa processing in Mexico, threatens to worsen the labor shortage in our industry and across all U.S. agriculture. American livestock agriculture is dependent on these workers. MPPCA will continue to work with Congress and the administration to address this labor shortage. Howard, on Thursday we saw that Smithfield closed its plant, or made at least made plans to close its plant for at least a couple of days because of uh, so many of its employees in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, having the virus. And earlier in the week, Tyson in Iowa uh, shut down for a similar reason. Uh, that must be concerning. Yes. As a pork producer, I'm very concerned with them shutting the plants down. We want people to have pork on their plates. The plants do everything they can from taking temperatures going in. They thoroughly clean the whole plant every after every shift. They take every precaution that there is and done everything they could. And this is not a foodborne illness. I want to make sure everybody knows that. It is safe to eat pork. It is not a foodborne illness. And those things are extremely important. The price of hogs have bottomed out. We've lost... a pig for the rest of the year compared to, you know, breaking even in the last month. That's where prices have went in our futures, Um, which is devastating. And that's, that's part of this whole thing. The whole market has, has went down, but the labor on those plants, making sure they stay open, making sure that the safety of their workers is a high priority is a huge concern to all pork producers. Wow, that's a big hit, that $30. Do you think that'll put some people out of business? Uh, it certainly will. Um, it's how the markets go. It's how farming goes. I'm hoping, you know, my home family farm, I've had for the fifth, I'm the fifth generation here on the farm. I hope I'm not one of them. I've done my best to make sure to be in a good spot. Um, I have contracts. As of right now, the contracts are being upheld. Um, they're going through and we're making sure that they lock, they had locked prices in. And so you, you do your best to make sure that you are sustainable. And that's part of the biggest thing about sustainable is being able to pass that this farm on to the next generation. And if I don't take those precautions that I have, 
I wouldn't be able to do that. Can we switch diseases for a second and talk about African swine fever? Oh, absolutely. Where are we in keeping African swine fever out of the United States, out of North America? ASF is not here in North America. Um, MPBC has worked diligently with others to strengthen uh, what FSIS does at our borders. They, you know, we got 60 more beagle pairs are coming to be put at our borders. And for some reason, a, there's not anything been created that can detect meat products as much as a beagle can. Also, you know, we just got legislation passed and working on the funding side to get 600 more egg inspectors at our borders. But the biggest thing is to make sure people answer those questions when they come back into, which there's not very, I'm guessing, a lot fewer people traveling internationally. But when they do, make sure they answer those questions truthfully. The diseases like ASF, you know, you don't even have to bring meat back. If you went out on a hog farm with your shoes and they're in your suitcase and you bring them back and wear them to the gas station, there's a producer that can walk through that and drag it into their farm. So those those questions are very, very important to answer truthfully. Um, a lot of the other stuff that we're doing is just getting out to all producers and strengthening up biosecurity on their, on their farms. That's something that MPPC has always pushed and making sure the administration and people understand that in D.C. And one more thing before we go, Howard, if you don't mind, I'm curious about your name, Howard A.V. Roth. What do the A and the V stand for? I actually have uh, two middle names. It's Andrew Vernon, named after my dad. All right. June 9th, 10th, and 11th of 2021, the World Pork Expo returns, we hope, to the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Back to the Saturday Morning Show and Orion right after this. It's two minutes before news time here on WGN Radio. That gives us time to review closing prices on Thursday, which was the last trading day of the week. Markets closed because of the observance of Good Friday yesterday. But on Thursday, the grain market, pretty good. May wheat up 10 cents a bushel at 5.56 and a half. The July corn contract up two cents at 336 and three quarter cents a bushel. And July soybeans gained nine cents on Thursday, ending at $8.71 a bushel. Not quite as good in the livestock trade at the Mercantile Exchange. The June lean hog contract down $2.27 a hundredweight, ending at $48.67. The uh, June live cattle contract down $2.10 a hundredweight at $84.37. And the April feeder cattle contract ended the trade on Thursday down a dollar fifteen cents at a hundred nineteen dollars fifty two cents a hundred weight. So those were the closing prices going into the market holiday. Our next market holiday will happen the end of May with the Memorial Day observance. Markets will be closed for that event on Memorial Day. But as always, we thank you for joining us here on the Saturday morning show. We also thank Bob Ferguson, the man who spins the dials and uh, gets the needles in the right place, the engineer for the Saturday morning show. But most of all, be safe, be well, and thank you for listening to this Saturday morning show.